listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Welcome to the Uloft podcast. This is Michael Bond. I am joined by Caleb Fugate and Julia Buggy and Tanner Hoshide. Yep. Hoshide. Nicely done. <laughs> I asked him earlier how to pronounce his name because I wasn't sure, and he informed me that it was Hoshide. Nobody ever gets it right. <laughs> That's okay. At the time of this recording, we still don't know the results of the election. Today, I want to talk about submission to human authority as well as submission to God's authority. And where do we draw the line? Mm -hmm. Let's start by examining one of the most commonly referenced passages when it comes to Christians obeying governmental authority. This would be Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So I'm just going to read it to you guys, and then we will unpack it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, this passage seems to suggest that all authorities, even ungodly authorities, are established by God, and therefore we should be obedient to them. But then the description of the rulers in verses 3 and 4, that they reward good conduct and that they are God's servant for your good, makes me think this passage is describing rulers who serve God. So do you interpret this passage as instructing obedience to all governing authority or specifically to godly governing authority? If it's referencing all human authority, my question then is, how do we as Christians support the actions of someone like, say, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for those who don't know, was a Lutheran pastor and an anti-Nazi dissident during World War II. He was part of a German military intelligence uh, organization called the Abwehr, and um, he reportedly knew about various assassination <laughs> attempts against Hitler. It's my understanding that uh, he actually did not try to justify his role in the Abwehr and knowing about the assassination attempts. Um, he's quoted as saying, when a man takes guilt upon himself in responsibility, he imputes his guilt to himself and no one else. He answers for it. Before other men, he is justified by dire necessity. So that's the idea that, well, it's, it's Hitler, so we're kind of required to know about right. the assassination and try to go forward with it. Man. He's saying that's not the case in his instance, that he's taking responsibility for his knowledge of the assassination attempt and for his, he kind of viewed that as not the most godly thing that he could be doing. Uh, so he says, uh, before himself, 
before a man before himself is acquitted by his conscience because of dire necessity, but before God he, he hopes only for grace. So Bonhoeffer, although he he had insight into the necessity of disobeying and being potentially involved in an, an assassination attempt against Hitler, um, he still thought that he needed God's grace for that, for his yeah. for his complicity in that, and so. I think that Bonhoeffer might have been tracking with the idea that, well, if we have a governing authority, even if they're someone as wicked as Hitler, that governing authority is instituted by God. And so are we doing the wrong thing by subverting that authority or not obeying it? Mm. And so Mm. with, with regards to the Romans 13 passage, are we talking about submission to every human authority or are we talking about submission to godly authority? Mm. Hmm. So the first thing that kind of pops into my... I have lots of things that popped into my mind. Um, but <clears throat> one that kind of stands out with me is... Um, so in, if you go flip back to the Old Testament, um, you'll see Israel over and over and over and over and over and over again um, being wiped out, attacked, ruled over by other nations that did not have their best interests in mind, right? Babylon, Assyria just completely annihilates the northern kingdom, right? And then rules over them, puts them into like a diaspora. Um, And the text seems to be okay with that, right? So it's like the Assyrians and the Babylonians were not good people Mm -hmm. morally, and the Bible is kind of pretty clear about that. And yet at the same time, it was still God's, plan right and it's like that's hard to look at it it supports in some way what romans 13 is saying right and Mm -hmm. it's like you know even though for israel this was the worst thing that could possibly happen as a nation Mm -hmm. and they're being ruled by terrible people who had horrific moral shortcomings um that still seemed to be within god's plan and even with um assorted prophets they were like hey by the way you're going to be here for a while so stick it out and do what's best for the city right um because this is what god has for you right now um but to be able to figure out what that looks like in a kind of current contextualized way when we live in a democracy uh, a democratic republic at least like that becomes more challenging and nuanced comparatively Mm -hmm. and yet on the other hand it's like the so that's one extreme the other extreme is um, when we start to say things like that, we get, it gets really hairy and dicey when we start saying everything that a government ever says and does is right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. including things like, um, slavery, right? It, what is, is it, you know, and that's a, this is a dangerous road to tread because it's like, well, if we say that, then we have to, at least lo- like logically speaking, be able to say that any government ever Whatever they say is right, is right. And I am not willing to say that. And that, you know, because that seems very dangerous for obvious reasons. I mean, slavery is just one pretty large one Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, costs the deaths of thousands and thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands, millions of people. um, And we're still seeing the repercussions of it, you know, over 300, 400 years later into the future. It's like, those are horrific things. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like they were put into law by a governing authority. Mm-hmm. And if Romans 13 holds true for us in all circumstances, 
than fighting against that. And this mm-hmm. is this is what actually a lot of Christian pastors way back in the 1700s who were anti-abolitionists would mm-hmm. quote Romans 13 to say, nope, the government said we should do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You should respect that. So I don't have answers to that. <laughs> Those are just like two things that are right. on my mind. And, yeah. I, you know, I they posit very different ideas right. for what's happening with this kind of situation. Right. And so, like, I agree with you on the idea that uh, if a government is telling us to do something that is expressly, explicitly against the will of God, that we should not do it. Yeah. Right. And which is why I think what happens is people take Romans 13 by itself. Yeah. And they say, okay, mm-hmm. like you were saying with the anti-abolitionists. Exactly. Yeah. I think we have to take it with Acts 5. And like I said, I'm, I don't think I'm going to read through Acts 5. For anyone who's interested in in this passage, it is actually verses 17 through 42. But the key in this passage is when um, uh, the Apostle Peter says, we must obey God rather than men, rather than man. Right. And this was a, a dispute over whether or not they should be teaching in the name of Jesus. Um, and they refused to stop teaching in the name of Jesus, although the human governing authorities gave them a command not to. So they they expressly Mm -hmm. defied human governance because that human governance was seeking that they stop sharing the gospel and that they stop uh, the Great Commission. And so we have to temper the obedience to governmental authority that's found in Romans 13 with that Acts 5 kind of idea of... of, uh, okay, is this person expecting me to defy God? And if they are, then I don't do it. Mm-hmm. And so Tanner and Julia, do you, do you have any thoughts as, as to that sort of vein? So I think I don't really have answers like Caleb said, but I think there's definitely um, a line to draw when it comes to, um, you know, obeying God and obeying man. Um, the governing authority above us, you know, because, for example, slavery, you know, we're not just going to go and say that that's okay, let's listen to the government, let's continue to (laughs) own slaves, like, Mm -hmm. we know that's not okay, and we don't do that anymore, I mean, we don't, I hope. I hope that other people. Still in case don't. anyone is curious, and this has been bag- <laughs> ambiguous, none of us are for slavery. <laughs> Just in case you forgot. Yeah, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't talked yet, so in case you're wondering, I am not about slavery <laughs> okay, as, as well. We're all yeah. in agreement here. In case that wasn't clear, we just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's a line that you draw, and you know, depending on the situation, that line becomes you know not as clear. Like, on slavery, that line's clear. We're going to obey God and not follow what the government says. If it was to say, you're allowed to own slaves, like, you should own slaves, don't do your own work. Like, that's pretty clear. But when it comes to something like, uh, I know the whole wearing a mask thing as far as COVID goes, you know, people had brought out... um, I forget where exactly it is, but not to cover your face. It says it in scripture somewhere. Oh yeah. And I breaking think breaking out the Levitical code. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm talking about? When no one has visited that in 30 years. <laughs> right, right, right. So I think, you know, that becomes less clear of a line to draw, whether we obey God or obey what the governing authority above us says. Yeah. So there's a line to be drawn. However, it's not always, cut and dry Mm -hmm. 
So I think that, you know, when it's not as cut and dry, I think that's, okay, God, what do you have for this situation? What is the best route to take here? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. That's just my thoughts. For sure. Julia. Yeah. I'm with you guys. I mean, I agree with everything that's been set up to this point. So for me to agree with this more would just be redundant. Right. My question to... um, I have a question as far as contextually why the wording seems as though um, it's like all inclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I truthfully don't know the, the Romans context. Romans 13 of, is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that was actually something that I was going to go into. Oh, I jumped the gun. I'm no, no, sorry, no. That's, that's really you're good. Prophetic, that's a, I think is what it was. <laughs> <laughs> that is. That's one of my spiritual gifts according you're to growth tracks. So. Your ability <laughs> to tell the future makes for wonderful transitions. Wow. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I'll just keep doing my thing. <laughs> um, so like we do want to say that if a government is requiring you to do an anti-Christian thing, we shouldn't do it. But if we take it too far in that direction, we can get into the zone of suggesting that a ruler can ascend to leadership without the permission of God. And that makes people really queasy. And I think it should, because then we're, we're dealing with human leaders who can openly defy God and still have lordship and leadership over our lives. And I think there's like a comfort factor in knowing that if a wicked leader rises to power, that God is still in control and that he, that that person is in power because God allowed him or her to be in power. And, you know, people struggle with the idea of God allowing a Hitler or a Mao or a Pol Pot or a wicked leader to rise to power. Um, but the silver lining in that God allows them to rise to power is that God is still in control of them. And there's a reason why he brought them to power. Mm -hmm. And I think we need that for our sanity to some degree, but we also don't want to linger in the territory of, well, this person has a divine appointment. Therefore the things they say, which break scripture must be okay because they're divinely appointed. Right. Right. So right. we have to sort of navigate that balance as best mm-hmm. we can. Which, like, the Old Testament is full of stories of God divinely appointing people and them still doing things that God was like, you definitely should have done that. Right. Should not have done that, right? Um, I can think of one example off the top of my head. David, when he mm-hmm. becomes king, um, God had divinely appointed David. And I can think of two instances where he did something that was God was like, Nah, shouldn't have done that. One is with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't know that story, uh, David is hanging out one day on his rooftop and uh, sees Bathsheba uh, taking a bath um, and says, ooh. I don't know if he said that. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the gist. Uh, he That's that. actually he in says, the scriptures. He says, ooh. <laughs> he did say that. Um, sure. And he ends up taking Bathsheba, right? And, you know, with power dynamics going on, it's like the king can do whatever the king wants to do and you can't say anything about it. So he rapes her, right? And then gets her pregnant um, and ends up killing her husband in the midst of it. Like like 17 wrong things that are just absolutely horrific. And God says, no, you shouldn't have done that. Sends a prophet, Nathan. He says, you have too many ducks and uh, you need to give some of... VeggieTales, anyone? No? I got you. Okay, got thank you. you. There's a, there's a VeggieTales episode you. where they didn't want to talk about, you know, uh, 
sexually assaulting a woman, right. so they use ducks as an analogy. As you know, because five year olds are watching this, <laughs> um, but it, it wasn't right. And there was another instance that I can think of where David wanted to take, and this might actually be more applicable because um, it has to do with like governmental leadership as opposed to just like an individual like moral failing. Uh, God, David takes a census, right? Um, and David takes a census of all the people to see how much military might he had as to rely on his own strength to say, I know I have this many people in my army, so I can take on this person or I can conquer this city, right? And, and God was like, no, you shouldn't have done that. And because of that, you will not um, build the temple, which is what he wanted to do, right? Um, and God was like punishing David for an, an action that he did while in divine appointment, um, but the hard part about that is we don't often see, like with this, this idea that God is in control of even these horrific, as we mentioned, some horrific people throughout our history, um, is that we don't often see the divine punishment that comes with, right? Mm -hmm. like we expect bad ruler does something bad yeah. should be divine punishment, right? And we don't always see that. Right, and right. that's like the hard part to conceptualize on our part. Like, if every bad ruler got mm -hmm. wiped out and zapped right. by God, or something horrible happened to it, like our human sense of um, justice mm -hmm. would be satisfied. But that doesn't mm -hmm. happen, right? And so it leaves mm -hmm. us like begging for questions, like mm -hmm. begging for questions with questions, <laughs> begging for answers. That's where I was going with that. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, right. So um, we can kind of get back to this idea of obeying God or obeying, yeah, obeying God rather than man. Uh, I actually saw this a lot in the wake when the COVID-19 pandemic first started. So I heard many pastors refuse to take COVID-19 precautions at all because they thought that doing so was disobeying God's instruction for corporate worship. Right. But then I also saw many pastors take COVID-19 precautions and also reference God's like sort of instruction for taking care of their flock and being yeah. a being a good shepherd and that right. sort of thing, and so um, how how do you discern which path is correct in certain instances where a biblical argument could be made for disobeying human authority as well as for obeying it? And this is where yeah. things get muddy because we can't really tell sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. And the COVID nineteen pandemic was a really good example of this because you could make a legitimate case in either direction at the beginning of this. And it kind of divided the church yeah. to some degree because pastors were like, Well, why are you shutting down? Why would you do that? Why are you limiting your worship? And then other pastors, and I was in this latter group kind of trying to be I felt like I should be a voice of reason, like listen to the experts, you know, kind of let's, let's see what this thing is first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then as it developed and we saw that the case fatality rate was really low, I have shifted to some degree more towards the center of that argument and that, okay, we need to start opening up and having corporate worship and we, we have to be careful about the psychological fear element of it rather mm -hmm. than versus the, the solid data behind the case fatality rate. And we don't want to just stay closed forever because we're just scared. Right. And mm -hmm. so while I don't think that it was wrong to take precautions at first, it ended up being wrong in the sense that the data didn't support it eventually, mm -hmm. but we didn't have that data back then. And so I think that one of the answers, at least my answer for discerning and walking through situations where you could make a scriptural argument either way is to be able to, is to not commit to a decision 
long-term to, to, to just be like, okay, this is what we're going to do for right now until we get better information. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. if we get better information, we can reverse course without feeling like we screwed up. You know, we yeah. can be humble enough to say, that we're going to have a, yeah, right. We're, we were, we're going to have a halftime adjustment. We're going to go back and we're going to play it differently, yeah. you know, in the second half. Right. Right. And that's kind of where I got to with that. But do you guys have any tips or any kind of practical advices for as far as discerning which path is correct whenever it looks like two paths are correct? Yeah. I think Tanner does. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, it's going to sound real churchy and like, you know, but I, the biggest thing is, you know, going to God with what we have. Mm-hmm. Um even if it's something as simple as, you know, there's two correct paths and I don't know which one to take, like, you know, God, what what do you want? Let's say, for example, I was the lead pastor of a church. I think it would be important for me to take that time, <clears throat> not only by myself with God, but with my staff um, and spend time in prayer, just really seeking out God and his will, like, man, God, we don't know everything that goes into this. We don't know what all's going on. We don't have all the data we need. But what is your will for this? Because ultimately, we're going to follow his will yeah. um, as opposed to anything else like we should. So, I mean, it, it sounds real churchy and, you know, formal and, like, you should pray all the time. But, like, it seems so simple. Yeah. And we don't mm-hmm. do it enough, I don't think. So, yeah. like... Literally just taking time to pray, not only by yourself, but with a group of people, you know, to seek out, you know, which direction ends up being God's will, yeah. even if they both seem right. Mm-hmm. I was just lamenting this with you yesterday, wasn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. So for those of you who don't know, uh, I pastor two little Methodist churches and I'm the pastor, I have no other staff, it's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when COVID hit, and I've only been in this a year and a half, I finished divinity school a year and a half ago, and this is my first kind of church that I've pastored, right? <clears throat> um, and March hit, and beginning of April hit, and I had to kind of unilaterally make these decisions. Um, and I'm sitting there going like, okay, divinity school doesn't teach you how to deal with these things. The Bible doesn't give you clear-cut answers. Mm-hmm. Um and yet I'm expected to make decisions that potentially could impact the lives of one way or another, the lives of every congregate member I have. And, and I don't have, I have six months worth of experience to base this decision <laughs> off of. Right. Right. And so like naturally I went to God first and, but the hard part was, it was like, I didn't feel like I heard anything back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, which is hard. And, and, uh, don't be fooled into thinking that your pastor is always hearing from God. Um, I will say that. And I think we have that kind of false understanding yeah, um, no, that like God is speaking yeah. a word right into the pastor's ear all mm-hmm. the time, 100% of the time. I was yeah. sitting there going, God, I need an answer. And I wasn't getting anything, right? Yeah, There's sometimes no that happens. <laughs> There's no hotline. And so at that point, you have to like, um, and this is where it's necessary for pastors to make sure that they're, um, both in the word that they're taking care of their disciplines, that they're growing in the fruits of the spirit mm-hmm. um, and have some kind of understanding at what is good for a church. And it's like, you know, I had to make these decisions based off of the fruit that I have in my own life. Right. 
Um, and certainly I sought counsel from other people, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it was still my decision one way or mm-hmm. another. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, what in this scenario produces the most joy, um, but also the most kindness and gentleness, self-control, um, and patience, right? And goodness for every person involved, right? Mm-hmm. Is it staying open? Is it going closed until further notice, right? Um, and I had decided that the being closed but doing things online until further notice was the best way to promote mm-hmm. goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, like the fruits that we are called mm-hmm. to be bearing as Christians, right? And the other part of it, in, in, in Methodism in particular, we have the, a three kind of pronged way to think about just about everything and how to make decisions. It's number one, do no harm. Number two, do all the good you can. Number three, stay in love with God while you're doing it. Um, and I'm not good at doing the first two all the times, but there's repentance at least if you stay in love with God. And I, so that first one in particular was like a way, like when government authorities tell you to do X thing, what does the least, what does the least amount of harm? Is it following it? Is it not following it? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what does the most amount of good for the kingdom of God? Is it following it? Is it not following it? And kind of working down through that checklist. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I ended up in the decision that I made. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was right or not. And I'll probably be judged when I get to heaven on it. And luckily, I know we serve a forgiving God in the midst of it. And I think that's kind of what you said with Bonhoeffer. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm taking responsibility for the action I made, right. even if I'm wrong. Right, right. Because I believe in a God that offers forgiveness. Right, for right. sure, for sure. Yeah, um, I really like the using the fruit of the spirit metric as a guide mm-hmm. for whether or not the decision is right because what it does is that it it causes you to individualize your advice like based yeah. on the people you're working with in the room yeah mm-hmm. so you can observe them and say okay this is promoting the fruit of the spirit so for these people it's the right decision it might not be the right decision for somebody so this is a good example is like if you're living in downtown new york city your decision when covid landed very was way different from somebody in Montana, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, and, and the reactions would have been different. You know, if you had been in Montana and somebody was like, okay, we're shutting down, you can't come to church this weekend. Like, yeah, people would have been, they would not have been displaying the fruit of the spirit. Um, and <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so using that as a guide, I think is really important because it causes you to, it keeps you away from overgeneralized advice and it makes your advice more specifically tailored yeah. for the people in the room. Yeah. And that requires you to know them in the way that with the pastoral relationship, which is something that pastors should be doing anyway. And right. right. And so it keeps you in that, that, that happy lane, I think. And I also like what you said, Tanner, about, uh, about praying about it and continually seeking God's will about the situation. And one of the reasons I like that, apart from the obvious reason of being in prayer, is that, is that <laughs> what it does is that it forces you to stay open to new information. And that's kind of what we talked about before, is this idea of being humble enough to accept new information. Because there's a good chance the new information is going to show that you were wrong. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're closed off, if you say, okay, this is my decision and I'm sticking with it forever, mm-hmm. then you're probably not praying about it because right. Right. you've made the, the judgment yourself already. So why do you need God's input? Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you, keep, if you keep praying about it and your whole staff and your whole uh, organization is praying about it, then they're continually open to new information. And I think right. that's the place to be because then we can hone in on the right decision as, as new developments happen and we grow in our understanding of the situation. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I like what you said, Caleb. How... Thanks. <laughs> that was quick. Cool. cool. Nice. And that's the we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like what you said when you were, you know, 
how you were praying and you felt like God wasn't giving you an answer. Like God's not always going to give you a direct answer. You're not always going to get a word from God. Like, and how you said that your pastor is not always, you know, getting a direct line from God. There's not always that big red phone over there that he just goes and picks up and says, Hey God, what do you want me to do this weekend? I mean, at least I don't have one of those in my office. Yeah. I don't if either. Pastor Mel does. I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, if I can get one of those, that'd be awesome. <laughs> But seriously, like, there's not just a direct hotline to God. Like, we need to spend time in his word, in his presence, and praying. And then you can start to see and hear when he does speak to you. But, like, there's not always going to be a direct answer. Mm-hmm. Well, and what you said is it's about, and we understand this intuitively, it's about cultivating, like, disciplines, but it's also about cultivating your relationship. It's right. like... Uh, when you first got married, you didn't always know what your wife was thinking, right? Right. Uh, but you've been married for some time now, and you are significantly more inclined that even if you didn't ask her a question, like, even if you didn't get a response from her, you're more likely to know what her response is. For sure. For any given yeah. question, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you've spent time with her. And it's like, mm-hmm. even though I didn't hear a word from God by um, living out the disciplines in my life and trying to, with earnest and wholeheartedly, follow this faith that has been... Um, like I've been blessed with it's like Mm -hmm. in doing so it's like yeah I didn't hear a word from God directly but I because of the spirit living in me I am more inclined to make the right decision because I know how God would respond because you're empowered by the spirit in the midst of that right you can't you can't be neglecting cultivating that relationship in the meantime than just assuming that you're just going to hear a word from God every time like that is a dangerous game right that's why that's why it's fantastic that we literally have God's word. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's so accessible. Like we're not always going to hear from God, but we know what his word says. Yeah. And if we dive deep into that and seek his presence, then I don't want to say we're not always going to need to hear from God because mm-hmm. I don't know. That doesn't, I don't like the wording. There's no new revelation that isn't found in the Bible. Right. right. Just right. New that's what I'm looking ways for. of applying mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that already exist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's I what think I was sometimes for. we can get stuck in, um, so the idea of fasting, right? Fasting mm. with prayer. You can get stuck in this expectation. If you fast for so long, you will get an answer. And yeah. we go through a, um, you know, New Year fast typically here at, at the at the summit anyway. And um, some staff take it super seriously and will not have anything other than water. And we've had some people get into some dangerous situations because of it. Um, People in the congregation as well. And I think sometimes there's just this frustration of, well, I fasted and I didn't get an answer. I deprived myself of the physical. Therefore, I should be so in tune with the spiritual that I know exactly that I know exactly what to do. And that's not, that's not even necessarily the case. I mean, time and time again, throughout the Bible, whether it was a big decision or on the brink of battle or war, fasting was part of it. Um, but it's just that growing close and coming close to God in the moment and being so deprived that you're relying on him. But I think we can also get um, stuck in this like, oh, well, so long as I just pray on it for how for X number of days, I'll have my answer here. Right. Or if I fast for a month, like I will clearly get revelation in this yeah. area because truthfully, I fasted and prayed during that period and I, I still didn't get the answer to things mm. that um, I was praying for and still, still have not entirely months later. So um, yeah, just this expectation 
of when God should answer isn't even necessarily promised with fasting. It might be enhanced and, you know, how God decides to go about that with each individual is one thing, but it's not promised, which is unsettling. But well, like, and that mindset is like playing a game with God. Right. If I do this, God, you will do this. And that's a... Mm-mm. I don't, I don't know if I want to serve a God that just willy-nilly decides to give people what they want because they did something. Right. Yeah. Right. If that was the case, that I probably wouldn't... nothing to do with what we're talking if about. If that was but. the case, I probably wouldn't be getting anything. <laughs> <laughs> just same. Yeah, and if you take that to its furthest extreme, then you end up with a God who serves you. I kind of like the idea, Julia, what you're saying about this idea of not having expectations in doing these things. And so if you're listening to this, it's actually a, it's a really good idea for you to start reading your Bible out of habit. Just sort of cultivate the habit to do it just mm-hmm. to do it. And the reason is because there are not that many people who have, they run into a problem in their life or a question and they think, okay, I'm going to solve this by reading the Bible. And they find their answer right there. And then that solves their problem and they move on to the next thing. Right. But what does happen rather frequently is uh, you'll see people who create a habit out of studying scripture And then as they walk through life and they encounter little issues and little problems, scriptures pop into their head. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, there's an answer. And it's an answer that they had read maybe two years ago. Yeah. But it's there in them for them to... That's a cultivated relationship. That's right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the same same idea. Exactly. And uh, so I think that if you can not do it with expectation, but just do it on faith, knowing that the tools are going to be there when you run into the problems because you've been sharpening yourself each Uh day in anticipation of the problems which are coming in your direction. Hey guys, listen, that's going to wrap up part one of this episode. I just want to say before we sign off, come out to United. It is Tuesday nights at 727 at the Indiana Theater. (laughs) It's biblical. There's lots of really fun people there. There's, there's good music, good people, good speakers. It's a really good time. It will be profitable to you uh, in many ways if you come out. So that's Tuesday nights, 727 p.m. United at the Indiana Theater. We hope to see you there. And thank you all for joining us in this episode, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the ULOC podcast presented by United IUP. If you would like to join our community, visit unitediup.com or follow us on Instagram at unitediup. United meets every Tuesday at 727 p.m. in the Indiana Theater located at 637 Philadelphia Street in Indiana, PA. Come live united.